Live from the Tolarian Academy, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Welcome to episode 130 of Derailed Trains of Thoughts, your premier podcast on storytelling. For the creator and the consumer. My name is Timothy Deal. And I am Nick Hayden. Uh, how are you doing, Nick? I'm doing pretty well today. It's uh, summer. It is summer, although we seem to be out of school, which seems a little ironic. I know, I just got out of school. What is this all about? Well, I mean, it's a fantasy school. I see, like, magicians or something going on. Maybe we'll meet someone. Maybe they don't prefer that. Too. Oh, wait, wait a minute. I think we recognize one guy that's here. That's our old buddy pal, Aaron Brosman. Yeah, yeah. No, that's totally me. <laughs> hey, Aaron, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Glad to have you here on the show. For uh, listeners who don't know, Aaron has uh, old Taylor classmates, Taylor University classmates. You have heard him on here before. Uh, well, he sounded a lot like a villain we once met in the realm of dear old thoughts, Mr. Bernie Fusco. Uh, he worked with us uh, a little bit, was kind of an advisor for Children of the Wells, and he did a roundtable with us way back when, when that was a thing. What you up to these days, Aaron? Honestly, right now, mostly I stay at home. <laughs> um, I'm lucky I get to work from home. But uh, other than that, I mostly just, you know, push anime on people. <laughs> I, at I, least lately. Yeah, I've seen that a lot on Facebook. You become an anime dealer, crack dealer of, so, of sorts. A bit. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, we're going to find a secluded room here at the Academy so that we can record our first segment, Story School. Today, I thought it'd be fun to talk about tabletop games, which we don't talk a lot about tabletop games here, but it's interesting to me that a lot of tabletop games, whether European games or American trash games or collectible card games, um, have a lot of world building and storytelling built into them that you wouldn't necessarily think. Now, Aaron, I know you've had, you know, not, not currently in, in the game business, but you have been. What are some of the games that you've you've helped create? So... I spent about three years working for a company called Arcane Wonders. When I first started, the big game that they, they made is called Mage Wars. Uh, and that's actually the game I worked on most of the time. I believe, other than a few things that happened after I was no longer with them, uh, I worked on pretty much everything that came out for Mage Wars. Apart from that... There were some other games that came out while I worked there. And since it was such a, a small company, there was at most five of us. <laughs> okay. So we pretty much all helped working on everything else. But the other big game that came out while I was working there that a lot of us put effort into was uh, Sheriff of Nottingham. Yes. My name is in the beta testers. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> um, at least in the original edition of it. I've, I've seen Yeah, that. no, the, the new edition is with Cool Mini or not. They have the license now, but Arcane Wonders had it for several years when it first came to the U.S. I am particularly proud of the fact that I am the reason that there are apples in the game. Okay. Um, the, so the game was made by a gentleman named Sergio from Brazil. Uh, he's a super awesome guy. I got to meet him at Gen Con one year. It was, it was absolutely great. But in his game, one of the things you could bring into town was potatoes. Okay. And I'm sitting there staring at it. I turned to John, who was one of the people I worked with, and I go, there weren't potatoes in England in the... It's like, this is anachronistic. And he goes, okay, fine. Tell me what there was. And I'm like, I don't want to look up food. <laughs> so I did, actually. I looked around, and interestingly enough, apples are on every continent. They theoretically originally came from somewhere in Asia, but very quickly... Every continent had them. Everywhere was uh, breeding them. So having apples in England in the crusade time period, not anachronistic. So that's why there's there's apples instead of potatoes. That is, that is amazing. I love that. <laughs> um, that's my big claim to fame. There, there, there were two things I did for Sheriff of Nottingham was the apples. And then there are uh, things called royal goods, which are contraband that are better versions of regular goods. 
That was my idea. Those two things were mine, and I made it into the game, and I, I was very proud of myself. <laughs> Yay! Was that and was that your biggest game at Arcane Wonders? I mean, I don't, I don't know um, which wh- is more well known. Do you think Sheriff of Nottingham or Mage Wars? While I was there, Sheriff of Nottingham became the game that we had sold the most. Okay. Um, since then. I would think that the game that Arcane Wonders is probably best known for is called Onitama. Okay, um, yeah. It's, a, it's an abstract strategy game that's kind of like chess, but the difference is everybody has two cards in front of them. Each card has a, a move on it. So when you're like, oh, I want to move this piece, you pick one of your cards and you use that move. So it's like, oh, this is two over and one up, or this is one forward, or this is diagonal here or there. And when you do that... You then place it in the middle and you take the card out of the middle. So what it ends up being is you and your opponent have a pool of five moves that you're going to keep trading back and forth the whole game. Uh, it's really, really cool. Yep. My brother-in-law has got, bought that. I think actually after you showed it to us at Gen Con one year. It's kind of fun. My cousins, I introduced some of my cousins who were like high school age now, basically. And they're like you know, 10, 12 years apart from me. So I introduced them to Sheriff of Nottingham and they wound up getting their own copy. So it was like, it was the first had knowledge of a game that I helped play test in people's houses. And I know it was featured on tabletop and all the stuff. So that's fun. Before we dive into the world building aspect, let's talk a little bit about theme. So why is theme even important in a tabletop game? Because we all know chess and checkers, that's very abstract in some ways, but why was it important that Sheriff of Nottingham had a, a good theme and it was not an- anachronistic, or however you say that? <laughs> anachronistic? Anachronistic. Meaning out of time. Anyway, the thing is, it's kind of interesting because a lot of European games, theme is a secondary thing. It's the thing you put on top of it. Like, I have a bunch of mechanics, this is the skin I'm going to put on top of it to make it more appealing. And I suppose for listeners who aren't familiar with the term, European games is the kind of board game where you're typically non-antagonistic. You're not fighting each other. You're more like competing for resources and trying to develop a town or collect victory points, that kind of thing. The biggest thing for most European games is this concept of a single important choice. Um, So like Catan is an excellent example. There are several things that will happen in a turn, but each turn you really have one choice. You're, you're choosing to do one thing, and then that one thing ripples throughout the game. Catan is an excellent example of this because the choices you make at the very beginning influence how well you will do in the end. And Catan is, is kind of a quintessential Euro game. Mm-hmm. Sellers of Catan and all those various spinoffs. Conversely, you have a lot of the American game theory. American games end up being a lot more choices, a lot more moving pieces, a lot more kind of things happening. And a lot of times you do end up with a lot more of direct competition. Like a good example, uh, so the game I made, it was literally a game where you are two, you are two mages and you're trying to beat the other person up. Now you take that and you compare it to something like Ticket to Ride. In Ticket to Ride, we're all competing. We're trying to finish these routes with our, our trains and we can lock other people out. So there's there's a direct confrontation there, but it's a race for victory points. So we're each trying to you know get as many points as we can. We're not actually trying to eliminate the other guy. We're not actually trying to like directly take away from them. You might beat them to the punch, but you're not you're not actually like oh I see you got that. No, I'm taking it. Yeah, you can play a little aggressively and take the ride by like claiming routes before the other person does, but usually you're going to be focused more on your own side of things. I remember playing this. I I want Karuba. Have you ever seen? I I think that's what it's called. But it's interesting. Everyone serves the same board, and then everyone takes the same piece, but you just make different maps and see who can get to certain things. It gives me that sense. It must be European, I think, just because it's very much like we're basically just all playing separate games, but trying to. Get more points. Yeah. Yeah. So those, again, that's kind of overview of mechanic stuff, but maybe you touched on this earlier, but why, again, is the theming, I guess the way I was thinking about it, you can correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of theming feels like it's kind of the hook to a game. Like the artwork I know is super important for, mm-hmm. to get people interested in a game. If like, this is kind of the style of a game and uh, like Sheriff of Nottingham is kind of, is meant to be a silly game. So you had silly artwork to go with it. Yeah, so like I was saying, the, a lot of those European games, the mechanisms 
are there. That's what you're playing for. And then the skin on top of it is the thing that, that makes it appealing because, you know, chess is great, but not everyone wants to stare at a square board with white and black pieces. There's, it's, not, it's not captivating. Whereas you play something like Carcassonne, so Carcassonne is about basically building a town or building a countryside. So every turn you get a tile, that tile has part of the town or countryside on it. You play it and then you can choose to have one of your workers work on it. Uh, and that's how you get your points. Even though that game is literally, I pull off tiles and I try to match things up. Like you could play it completely stripped down and, and remove a lot of stuff from it. But because of the theme they chose... And because of the art they use, it's a lot more appealing. I'm just curious, um, and maybe it's one. It just depends. For game design, does it normally? Do people normally come with the mechanics first and then find a flavor for it, or do sometimes they have a flavor and they figure out what mechanics works with it? It it depends on the designer. Okay. because uh, I know, I think it's uh, Reiner Kinesia, super famous. European board game designer. And from what I understand, he has tons of white boxes, which are, which are demos of games, no theme on them, whatever. Usually the pieces are just all white. It's just, it's just here. And he will pitch things and be like, this is the game. These, this is the mechanic. This is what we're doing. You could skin this as we're riding on trains, or you could skin this as we're flying spaceships or you could, you know, and you'll do a lot of that stuff because from what I understand for his process, it's about those mechanics first because the theme a lot of times is something someone else can do, some, someone else can add. Now, the flip side is there are definitely people who will start with a theme, start with a thing going, hey, I want a game that does X or I want, I want a game that, like my boss, when he designed Mage Wars, he literally was like, I want to do a Dueling Mages board game. And that's where he started from and everything built from, from there. there. So you have both extremes and then there are also in-betweens. Um, like I, I knew people who would be like, oh man, I came up with a really cool mechanic. I just need to find a theme that I like it with and vice versa. It just depends on the designer. Do you think finding the right theme, the right story, background, whatever makes the game better? Like if you had had, like say Sheriff Nottingham, and you took the same mechanics and put it somewhere else. Does it make it a better or worse game, do you think? Or is that all in the eye of the beholder? So Sheriff of Nottingham is a great example because there was a another version of the same game. And if I remember right, it was like border crossing, like smuggling things over the border. Okay. Like, um, like papers, please. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> the video game. Yeah. Um, but mechanically, it worked very almost identical, but the theming was different. The thing is... Depending on the person, either game could work. Either game could be fun. But basically for the audience we wanted, for the audience that we were, were thinking of, Sheriff of Nottingham was a much better theme. It didn't have sort of baggage with it. Because, um, I mean, the more you do things that people can tie to something actually happening, the more all that extra stuff comes with it. And sometimes that can be good. Yeah. But in this case, it was definitely like, no, we think that's going to turn people away. We think that's not going to work as well. And like you mentioned, the art, being able to go with, with Sheriff Nottingham, there was obvious directions for a lot of the art. And we were able to do some really cool stuff with the, the visual presentation. So that's a case where I feel the theme that we decided made the game better. That makes sense because, yeah, I can see how if it's just about crossing a border, that could get like, oh, think about refugees and this is going to be a real serious sort of situation. And it, and obviously, like you both played the game, yeah. you know that this is not a serious game. No. Because if you take Sheriff of Nottingham seriously, you'll be the angry guy in the corner who has not smuggled a single thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the other funny thing I remember that you changed, like I think the, the beta version we played was actually called Robin Hood. Yeah. And uh, then you change it. I mean, because everyone takes turns in the game being the sheriff of Nottingham. So you're like, that's the heart of the game. Let's rebrand it around that. Yeah. And especially in the base version of the game, there was no Robin Hood. 
he's not in there anywhere. And we're like, this is weird. <laughs> now, the really cool part was that then allowed them, uh, allowed Sergio to make an expansion that was the Merry Men. And in that, one of the things you could smuggle into town are the Merry Men. There, there's like a card for like Friar Tuck and a card for Little John and, and like Robin Hood. And you could smuggle them into town. So it was really cool that it still worked with our, with our whole theme. That seems to bring up the idea that sometimes having the, the theme, the story, actually lends itself to more creativity. Once you pick a theme, you have more creativity to expand or like, oh, I didn't think about that. Ink. I don't know if that's how it worked, but it seems oh, like it could. No, I definitely think a lot of times once you know, once you have that theme and once you know that's where you, you are, where you can grow from there becomes obvious. A really good example of this is one of my very favorite games, Sentinels of the Multiverse. Mm -hmm. It started as this very simple, we made up our own superheroes and our own villains, and this is a superheroes versus villains game. But then as the expansions continued, it was all, well, comic books is our theme. That's what we're going with. And so we want to hit all this classic comic book stuff. So, of course, at some point, you have a hero who is a villain, but from the future come back to stop themselves. <laughs> um, of course, you end up with all these classic comic book references. One of my very favorites is, though, one of the later expansions, one of the environments you can play in is called the Enclave of the Endlings. The reason it's so cool is because all of the art is Jack Kirby inspired. Oh, so nice. it's all done in that style. And it, anyone who's super familiar with comics knows that, like, traditional Kirby-esque characters can get really wild. And yes. so they did that. They just They just really embraced it. And that's a case where... Well, our theme is comics, so obviously we should reference, you know, one of the greatest writers and artists in comics of all time. So yeah, let's just let's just go for it. I've not I think only once played Centrals of the Multiverse when you brought it. But isn't that one of those games that has a lot of actually backstory you can get into there? Oh yeah. Okay. Es especially now because after they, like, when I had talked to Christopher Bedell, he was the person who designed it originally. He's one of the, the head guys over at Greater Than Games. I had talked to him about it, and he had said, you know, it's like, oh, we have a plan for this. And I'm like, oh, well, so you've got the next few expansions planned? He's, no, no, no. We've planned it all. We know where we're going. We know when this game ends. And so they actually had this enormous expansion for the end that was like a giant fight Galactus kind of thing. And it was literally like, we're going to do callbacks to everything. Wow. And we're going to let you use everything that you made. So it's really cool. Now, the, the interesting part is then they've gone back now and they, they basically started doing a, uh, for lack of a better term, director's cut, I guess. <laughs> okay. um, so they using all the stuff we learned, making it, they're kind of, starting at the beginning and redoing it again, but they're also able to change some of the stories. And like one of the really good examples is there was a character named Haka who is basically inspired from Maori warriors in Southwest Pacific islands. There we go. Sorry. Brain processing slowly. They, they really liked the character, but they didn't like so much how he kind of panned out. He was still too much of a caricature and not like a full mm. character. Okay. So like, from what I understand in the definitive edition, there's a different Haka. It's like a Haka from a different universe. So they got to go in and sort of pass the torch, do a very, see, this is another case where their theme was comics. So this is how you, you do this is you pass the torch like in any comic. And so <laughs> now you have a new one. And so then they get to make those improvements without being like, no, we just got to. And yeah, it, yeah. It, it was a very unique way to, to handle it. And so that's, that's the interesting thing that they're doing now. But they had this plan from the very beginning is that like, no, we're not going to just, we don't want to just keep putting it out and putting it out and putting it out. No, we know where we effectively, we know where this story ends. And because they knew where their story ended, they knew each of their expansions because they knew each chunk of the story they wanted to tell in it. Yeah, that's, that is fascinating to me, especially since Sinos in the Multiverse is essentially a co-op game, right? Where, mm -hmm. you, where the players are working together to defeat a common villain in this, in this case. But it's interesting to me the amount of world building and storytelling it did for a story that 
they really can't tell from beginning to end. It's like it, the entire purpose, and this is true for, I guess, tabletop role-playing games too, where the, you just kind of create this world for the players to play in, and the results of the story are really up to them. It's a very different mindset, I think, than what we do as like fiction writers. A lot of times, and this is especially true, I feel, of uh, a lot of role-playing games, is it's a matter of inventing hooks, but then you just leave them out there. You make a bunch of hooks so that people can discover them, and then they can run with it and go with it. And Sentinels is a great example because, like I mentioned, the hero who comes back from the future to stop the villain version of himself, that character, the villain, was in the first set. The hero wasn't until the third set (laughs) that they bring this guy back. And so it's really interesting in that that tells you, oh, this is where we go. This is what what we do and we keep building on things and we we plant these hooks early. And don't worry, we're going to come back. Because, like, there's art in the first set of one of the heroes beating up on a bunch of guys that are all wearing, like, red leotards with, like, a communist star on the face. And it's like, well, I want to know who these guys are. So in set five, (laughs) you find out who that is. Wow. Um, There's a supervillain named the Proletariat, and I kid you not, single greatest supervillain naming ever because he clones himself. And he's named the Proletariat, and he's like classic Iron Curtain communist Russia thing. The theming is so good on him. It just gets me every time. Did you ever play, I encountered this one year at Gen Con, a game called Letting Go, and it was basically about... So the, the play, it's another co-op game where the players are part of a hospital staff and your goal is to take care of this man who is dying. And over the course of it, you would try to piece together bits of his story so that you could contact his loved ones. When I play tested it, the guy explained to us, your goal is not to save this man's life. That's not going to happen. Your goal is to try to understand it best. And then I guess the replay value comes with like on subsequent plays trying to get more piece together more of his story. That was a fascinating way to, to me to do uh, storytelling in a, in a tabletop game. Yeah, no, I, I have not played that one. That sounds, that sounds pretty awesome. I'm curious, have you ever played a game called Mysterium? Yes, yes, I have. So the whole concept in that game is one person at the table is dead and you're a ghost. Everyone else at the table, whenever you go to sleep, the ghost sends you a dream. And all these cards are pictures. They're the dream. And the ghost is trying to tell you where they died, who killed them, uh, and I think how they died. And so you're constantly being given these clues from the ghost. But it only comes in a picture. And so the storytelling, it's, it's another one where it's a really unique way and it, it lends to a very unique story told. Now, the hilarious part was I was at a convention and one of the guys who who owned one of the other game companies, he comes over and he's like, so are you playing this, uh, are you playing hardcore? And we're like, Zev, what are you talking about? He goes, it's a ghost and you're having a dream. So if you really want to play this authentically, no one can show each other their cards. You have to describe it because I can't see your dream. Oh. I, and, uh, and we immediately went. Zev, you are a mad genius. <laughs> and we played it that way. And man, it's hard. That would be a way harder way but of it playing. Is, it's so, it's so wild. Like you're trying, everyone's trying to describe it. And that's one of the things that's really great about tabletop games is, you know, just when you really get into it. And, and that, that's a case where the mechanics are very obvious and they're very straightforward. I have a card, the card is sending a clue, but because of the theme, someone like Zev can be like, hey, no, keep going with the theme. This is where it should go. Um, not a required rule, but it's something you can yeah. do for fun. And that's that's really where a lot of these games just become really great. It's almost like extending the, the theming even further into the mechanics than like you'd originally done. Like you can, yeah, you played on a certain level of abstraction. But like, I guess this is the big thing with role playing too. You know, you can play D&D where you're just dungeon crawling, killing monsters and stuff. Then you have the crazy group like Critical Role or some other group that's like super into character and acting and 
exploration. Everyone has a voice. Yes. <laughs> all that kind of stuff. See, I couldn't do that. My wife says that all of my monsters of less than four feet tall sound exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, no one can be critical role. That's the, that's like, yeah, no, no, it's, it's not my goal in life to be Matt Mercer. If I could maybe, but no, it's not my goal in life to be Matt Mercer. <laughs> What do you, if you, people were looking for some of these tabletop games that had a lot of background world building, what ones would you recommend? We've been talking about some right now, but. Yeah, no, honestly, like, like I mentioned, uh, Sentinel of the Multiverse, there is a ludicrous amount of world building there. There is innumerable fake comics that they reference. <laughs> like those guys, those guys really got into it and they really understand classic comic tropes and they made the game feel like it, and that that's fantastic. But that's one with a thick, rich backstory. Like, literally every character has tons going on, and almost every piece of art with them is like, nope, there's more of the story here. And it's really interesting because... So they're trying to get you to know these comic book characters who aren't actually in any comics. <laughs> um, but the art on all the cards helps tell that character's story. There's little flavor texts, which are oftentimes lines from these comics that don't exist, but they help tell the story too. And then on top of that, I know they had stuff on their website for a long time that was was extra stuff, but there, there's just all this stuff out there. And it's always so interesting to see how the pieces they give you for the actual game keep coming together to to give you more and more about these characters. So Sentinels is one with a ludicrously rich and vivid backstory. Another one that is in a completely different direction is Twilight Imperium. If you're familiar with a company called Fantasy Flight Games, the person who founded it, Corey, I can never remember his last name, is Twilight Imperium one of these games that had, comes in a box that's like a foot deep or something like that? Uh, the joke was that it cost as much as it weighed. And when I, <laughs> when I was first working at the game store, it was a $70 board game. So, yeah. uh, no, it's, they've also been referred to as the old coffin boxes because they are – it's a big box. There's a lot going on. But Twilight Imperium is what they call a 4X game, which means exploration – trying to remember all of the – X's, but basically it's like civilization. Okay. Civilization is a quintessential 4X game because you research things, you deal with other uh, civilizations, you have armies, like that kind of thing. Uh, you, you're constantly going fighting over resources. So that's the concept, but in space. So everybody plays a different one of these ancient galactic civilizations, and each one has their own backstory and their own like special abilities and, and very particular things. Now the, the, the reason I, I bring Twilight Imperium up specifically is because they have literally written novels in this universe. Mm, um, wow. There's a lot there. They constantly add more and more to the backstory and it's a big universe. It's an interesting place. There are a lot of really cool alien civilizations in there. And then of course there's the one random humans. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, there's a bunch of different sort of humans, but there's definitely like humans from Earth is one of them. But there's there's so many cool, cool things in that. I was surprised when I listened to a podcast. Uh, I don't know. This is probably a year or two ago now about Magic the Gathering. And I always thought Magic the Gathering was I mean, I know it's a collectible card game, but I tend to think of it in terms of like. Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon like you collect cards you battle each other that's it so the fact that it has locations and lore and histories and all that stuff it was like oh that's interesting but why <laughs> so the interesting thing there is when it started there was a story it was very broad and kind of simplified then there was a set called Weatherlight and that was the first time that they decided hey Let's actually give our set a story because all the other sets, there's been a, a general story like this is kind of what's happening during this set. But Weatherlight was unique in that they made a very specific story following very specific, unique characters, which they hadn't done before. All the other stuff was like, no, this is stuff that happened or this is kind of what's going around. But this was the first time they actually tried to be like, we have a set. This is what's going on. And then from that point on, 
every set has had a story. Now, the the other interesting part is several years later when the storyline involving those characters from Weatherlight finally ends. Because there's they, this huge, huge, like, multiple worlds ending thing because magic is always over the top. <laughs> um, sure. But when that ended, when they started after that, that's when they started focusing the story on Planeswalkers. Because the idea was... When you played the game, you were supposed to be a planeswalker and your deck of cards were all the things that you found from all these these worlds that you will use to battle other planeswalkers. So then they decided, well, let's make the planeswalkers characters. And so now with the sets, every set still has a storyline. This is what happened. This is why these people are here. This is what's going on. And now they have focused it around these planeswalkers. It's meant to be like, ah, yes, these are characters that are like what you are. These are characters that are like what you can be, Mm. you know, and these are characters you can get to help you. So it's interesting to watch how Magic's story has evolved from something very simple of like, this is the legend of what happened (laughs) into, no, no, now we're in, I can't even remember what the most recent set is, but the whole hook on it is it's a city that, if I remember right, is run by demons, but was made by angels. And the whole idea is that everything works on like deals and keep the peace and we got to maintain the balance. So it's this really weird thing. And the, one of the best parts about magic, one of the best and worst parts is that that's this set next set. Who knows? (laughs) Who knows where we end up? Cause like they've gone from a plane called Ravnica, which is a giant city and everything is done in guilds. So it's all guild versus guild versus guild. And then like the next set. Okay. Now we're in Amonkhet. Amonkhet is an entire plane that is themed after ancient Egypt. So there are pyramids and we've got, we got to deal with like mummies and the living dead and, and all this stuff. It's like, okay, now that we're done there, now we're going to go to Kamigawa, which is a plane that's all mystical Japan themed. And now we're going to go. And that's like I said, that's the best and worst part is that they just keep going. Now that's where them switching to planeswalkers is really helpful for them. Because originally they had just like, these are characters. So it's like, oh, if we go to a different plane, we have to explain how they got there. <laughs> now it's like, no, they're planeswalkers. So of course they got there. It's, 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 sure. it's in the name. <laughs> but it, it's been really cool to watch how they've really embraced their story and really just kind of leaned into it. And it's given them a really unique hook. And as we talked about design, it's really let them do crazy stuff with that because you get inspired when you're like, no, the story tells me this is what this guy's supposed to be like. So what if we, uh-huh. and then you end up with some really interesting, interesting stuff. Cool. One last question to throw yep. into all this, and maybe this is opening a can of worms, but but I can't help one. Well, Nick, last year, I think it was when you wrote kind of a choose your own adventure-ish sort of thing. Yes. I remember one thing you kind of struggled with was that by giving the reader or the player choices, you're kind of taking, like, as a storyteller, you're used to have being able to present a certain vision. Yeah, I'm like, okay, this character's making these choices because he's this sort of character. And then you give the choice to the audience, which a lot of different type of writing does. But for me, it was so weird because suddenly, like, I can't determine who this character is because... I did write like 17 versions of this character. Yeah. So I guess my, my question here for the three of us is, is there a way, like a lot of what we've been talking about storytelling through games is a lot of like scenarios and exploring ideas and hooks. all that stuff. Hooks. But is there a way to really convey, is there a way to make games art, to use a highfalutin term? Is there a way to like express an idea, a message? Or is it just, these are cool situations, go play, have fun, see what happens when, when you do? Does that make sense? I think so. And I don't know, don't know that I have an answer for it, but I'd be curious to hear your guys' thoughts. I would lean to yes, but that's also because my safety answer is yes. <laughs> um, I, I think almost anything can be art. But specifically for games, it's definitely not the same. It's not like a book or a painting or something where the art is done. Mm-hmm. The part that connects us with the human experience 
is exactly that. It's the experience at the table. That's mm. the part that's the the art. Mm. Um, apart from the obvious, like, actual art <laughs> on things. Right. Because I'm not going to take anything away from the people who are much more wildly talented than I. But On graphic design. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> among other things. <laughs> but But that's the thing, is that you put together all this stuff to create an experience that exists in that moment in time. And that is the thing that is the art, I feel. That's a really good answer. Okay. I like that. Okay. We'll leave it at that then. <laughs> Something to, to dwell on. Um, and since we're running long here for Story School, we'll now go into soundtrack. All right, for our first soundtrack, obviously games are games, but I thought I'd try to pick one that was based off some sort of card game. Uh, actually, I looked up, there is a Monopoly remix I found on Dwelling of Duels, but it was only okay. Nice. <laughs> but uh, apparently there's a Yu-Gi-Oh! video game, which I know nothing about Yu-Gi-Oh!, but there you go. Uh, actually, this is Yu-Gi-Oh! Dark Duel Stories, remixed by Timaeus222 called Duel in the Desert. It's kind of uh, Egyptian and ethnic and dancey and fun. So enjoy. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that song. It's it's a catchy little, I don't know, catchy is the right word yeah. for it. I enjoyed it. Sure, yeah. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. All right. Our next segment is uh, our recurring one called Once Upon a Sentence. Now, we haven't heard anyone from uh, the last episode, but to be fair, we are recording actually like a few days after that episode came out. So we won't hold it against you if we haven't heard from you about 
what that last book was from, but uh, what was that last sentence from? The last sentence was from the Brothers Karazmov, uh, from uh, the famous chapter, The Grand Inquisitor, which is uh, how you had heard about it. Oh, by Fyodor Dostoevsky. In case you didn't know. Yeah. So, yes, I had, heard, I had heard of that section, even if I haven't read that. So, cool. All right, so Aaron picked this uh, sentence for this week. Aaron, could you read us your sentence? Absolutely. The ships hung in the sky in much the same way that bricks don't. <laughs> that, like that does not sound like Dostoevsky. No, it probably doesn't. So <laughs> I was right. going to say, if that's Russian, the translation's really it's wonky. It's the stranger, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so the ships hung in the sky in the same way that bricks don't, or something like that. All right. Well, with that, we will move on to our next segment for the day. <laughs> What if? Okay, so for what if today, we decided uh, let's do our infamous, I don't know if this is the right word. <laughs> sure, why not? Our tried and true pull things out of a hat scenario. So this time we've got three hats. And what we're going to do is we're going to brainstorm a game based on the things that we pull. So in my hand, I've got a hat full of settings. And then Nick, you've got a hat full of types of games. Yes. And then Aaron has got a hat full of unusual occupations that will be placed in those settings. So if you've never listened to us for some reason, welcome. But for what if, we're just going to brainstorm this craziness, hopefully. Yes. This is my favorite section, honestly. <laughs> All right. Nick, why don't, actually, why don't you start us off? Uh, so what's, what's our, what type of game are we making here? We are going to be making a collectible card game. Okay. Think Pokemon, think Yu-Gi-Oh, think Magic, any of those things. This particular one is set at a school cafeteria. Okay, and the, what what's our strange? I guess this is the, what the player character is normally for, as an occupation. <laughs> Pharmacist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in a in a school cafeteria. Okay, there's some drugs going. Down. I was gonna say, so it's the Breaking Bad card game. <laughs> okay. I, I call dibs on the what is it? Two brother chickens. Uh, we should have seen this. Breaking Bad is a show we keep talking about. We need to actually see so we get all these references. I just know that there's two Polos Hermanos, and that I have now expended the extent of my knowledge about Breaking Bad, <laughs> other than it's about meth. Yes, yes, and a high school teacher. So, so are we saying that our our objective is to sell the most drugs? <laughs> is that what we're doing? Well, I don't know. Like, do most collectible card games are are they mostly battle mechanics, or are there? Yes. Some, okay, well, that's what I thought. Uh, there, there are a few that didn't directly go head to head, like the Call of Cthulhu card game was more of a race to solve mysteries, a la Cthulhu. Okay. Like, uh, but most of them are usually pretty head to head. Okay, so pharmacists are going head to head in a school cafeteria for something. Uh, is it to make? Well, it seems like this should be a cooking thing, <laughs> given the setting. Unless it's like um, solving food poison. I don't know. I was gonna say unless it's like Doctor Doofenshmirtz, where everyone thinks he's a pharmacist <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> uh, they're just no. Those these are our cafeteria lab coats. Like okay, so what are the what are the cards we're we're dealing with here? Or is there a uh, dealing with <laughs> dealing with in quotes? I mean, are they are they like? Students are they like different? Oh, that's a good point. We were, we said school cafeteria. I immediately went to like K through twelve, but I guess it could be like a college campus. Oh, that's true. I I didn't thought that. Yeah. See, uh, I was gonna say, and I was thinking, if it's not meth, then it's like Ritalin or something. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you have to prescribe so much Ritalin before the lunch hour end. No. I don't know how you do it. How, how do you back to? Are we are trying to outdo the other pharmacists then? Trying to, to make the best deal or something, or maybe the cards are like your. I'm trying to figure out the way not to make this drug related. But <laughs> it's not coming, folks. Uh, like the best dealers, your uh, your growers, your I don't know what what these cards are. I mean, I guess there could be different ingredients, and in your pharmacist, you mix the you make the pill. True. I don't know. True. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, I, I'm at a loss at this point. This one kind of builds itself, but it builds itself into a corner. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Okay. We're not selling this one to any uh, Walmarts. <laughs> no, no. Okay. I think we maybe we better move on. Cut okay. Our, we'll cut our losses and go withdraw the next one, Nick. Tabletop RPG. Okay. That takes place at an ant colony. <sighs> Let's see. Dentists. <laughs> Dentists at an ant colony. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> Tabletop RPG. Okay, so what do we call this? Like, so are we the ants? Do ants have teeth? In this game, they do. They must. Well, they have okay. they have mandibles. Mandibles. Yes. Yes. So I mean, okay, you could work on that. I, I suppose. <laughs> sure, that makes that makes some sense. See, now I'm just imagining ants with like giant metal grills and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Okay, maybe the dentist. Maybe it's not so much fixing your teeth, but making them into weapons. <laughs> like you can trick out your mandibles. Oh, okay. And it's possible, you know, to be fair, the dentist may just, if this is a tabletop RPG, dentists may just be one class among many. <laughs> like maybe you also have ants, chiropractors or something. <laughs> Podiatrists, so, there are six legs. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they have a lot of. <laughs> just all these, like, all these medical professionals in ant form. The ant colony, just trying to help the colony as it's dealing with different oh, man. diseases. See, now I'm just imagining the ant psychiatrist, and then the <laughs> queen is like lounging on. Tell me how that makes you feel. <laughs> I think that's the ticket. Like, this is an RPG about the ant medical field, <laughs> essentially. So, you have your ant dentists, maybe your ant orthodontists, your ant, yeah, podiatrists, in a lot of sense, your ant physical education specialists, or what I, do they call that? I'm really scared of the ant surgeons, though. Yeah. <laughs> So maybe it's like we deal with the the veterans from these ant wars. I don't know. Like you have all these these ants coming in who have been burnt by magnifying glasses. They've been marching two by two. <laughs> They've lost their sense of rhythm. I, I don't know. But I mean, because you have to have a world for them to exist in. There's got to be something happening, some hooks. Oh. Are there ant colonies at war with each other? Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. So this is the setting, basically the the ant colony setting, and what, what what's the name? I feel like we need a name for this. Yeah, I feel like there's a pun somewhere here, but I can't think of it yet. Hill to die on, um, <laughs> making mountains out of ant hills. Um. <laughs> I'm trying to throw MD in there somewhere. Yeah. No, that's what I, I, I was working on. PhD. <laughs> We're both the same. Like, <laughs> now I'm gonna work with ants. I need more time for a queen and colony. For Queen and Colony. I could see that. I get at least seeing that being one of the source books. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I think there's potential here. I'm not sure it'll go off big, but it's about a small thing yeah. anyways. It's sure to raise some eyebrows or and maybe some antenna too. Yeah, hopefully. exactly. Yeah. All right. What's 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 right. our next one All here? Right. I, I'm I'm digging that was my favorite so far. We don't mind too. American Battle. So I, I was thinking, like, battle system. A com so, competitive game. A, ver a very competitive game of some sort. Okay. This one takes place at or during the French Revolution. Well, there, there's going to be heads rolling one way or another. French Revolution. <laughs> Someone only put medical professionals. Dermatologist. <laughs> Wait, okay. okay, okay. No, no. French Revolution, your job is to make nobility unrecognizable. You're trying to get them out of the country by giving them fake faces. <laughs> so you're a plastic surgeon during the French Revolution. Yep. Essentially. <laughs> I kind of dig that because obviously you want to kill all the other team's nobles uh -huh. and cut their heads off. But yeah, you got to make it's kind of like uh, Stratego. You're yeah. trying to make it so yours are unrecognizable. They can't find your. Like, guess who, but with wigs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, okay. So wait, so wait, some sort of combination of guess who and uh, like, that's the like searching out to the nobles phase. Yeah, like, phase. That's a different phase. So you have to have your disguise phase first, I guess. Yes. Which that have, is, you, have you ever heard of a game called Guillotine? Oh, I think I have actually. So that's, Guillotine is literally, we run the guillotine, you're trying to get the most points by killing all the nobles, but you're trying to avoid killing the peasants. Because you lose and you build up this line and you're you're trying to. It isn't like you have a line of of victims or whatever, and part of your part of the strategy is for the people in line to kind of like cut back. Like yeah, back you're trying to cut back or cut forward. Like you're trying to shuffle things around so that when it's someone's turn to to pull it, that they lose points or gain fewer points. <laughs> I'm really intrigued about, about this whole disguise mechanic, though. I'm like, is that going to be like? Are we talking like one of those like little magnetic things where you like move the, the hair, all the iron fillings to be facial hair and stuff? Oh my gosh, that'd be great. No. Um, okay. So there's a game called Mystic Veil. Okay. And what they do is you have a card and all the cards are sleeved because 
you put other cards in front of them and ah. it's see-through cards oh, so it changes it changed there's also a game called gloom that does a similar thing like you stack see-through cards and they replace modifiers okay so you could do something like that is that you could have cards and you could you could replace things <laughs> and like oh i've added a beard to my now you can't recognize this noble anymore. I, I think I think this would be great. I actually think this game has potential. Yes. I, I, it also needs a name. That's funny, but I don't know what yet. The face of a revolution. Um because <laughs> we'll have to come we, we really just like heads up. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right. All right. All right that was great. That was great. Yeah, what's our next one here? Our next one is Eurogame. Eurogame. Then the theme is uh, Jules Verne Journey to the Center of the Earth. Oh, cool. So that's nice. Amazing. Who's our character? A DJ. A D- <laughs> so you can't you can't make it to the center of the earth without tunes. <laughs> tunes. I guess so. Okay, so so is everyone's working together to create the best tune? You're making the soundtrack for the, the trip to the center of the but earth? But see, you're in caves, so you gotta find the right frequency that bounces off well. Well, it, it depends, because like some places would be caves. Some like part of okay. part of it could be like underwater. And so then different locations would require different acoustics. <laughs> that worked remarkably. I'm not sure how it works exactly, but I'm like this. Okay. I'm picturing like a board that uh, marks you where your character is progressing. Maybe there's like a, a race to the center sort of aspect to it. So like you get a certain number of points for getting there first. You get points for having the best acoustic variety as you're collecting music along the way. Obviously you have those things where you say like, oh, you have to have the most classical music in order to get points or the most, oh, yeah, you know, different goals EDM for it. or whatever. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Metal. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like each character should have a little like uh, advantage with certain terrains or yeah the the rock dj is gonna really want the rock obviously yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah. okay and yeah I, I can i can picture it i totally can can picture you it. picture that <laughs> all right cool so we we had limited i mean honestly there's not that many types so we've got a little bit of time here let's go through we're gonna re-put the same i'm not sure we'll do the same settings we'll just i think the settings will come up with it as we'll just make, let the occupation uh, just for dictate. simplicity, dictate that. But we'll go back to let's use the same games because I know we've got a lot more occupations to choose from here. I got American Battle again. Okay, so let's go with that and air conditioning repairman. <laughs> okay, so we got uh, and it needs to be like like deep in some southern state where AC uh, is uh, is life vital. <laughs> See, now I'm just imagining like New Mexico or Arizona, and it's like. Uh, you know, like old westerns where they go to the center of town. And they have the the duel, <laughs> except it's it's like Freon and and and, and wrenches and. So do you? Is it like a resource game? That's not so much American Battle, though, is it? No, not not, 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 not the American Battle. Yeah, it would be it'd be great. It seems like it'd be more of a resources game. But maybe you're like sabotaging each other's equipment or the the power lines or something. You know, so oh, that oh yeah, you can black it out or something. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah, we've definitely got a setting and details. I feel like this is the sort of thing you need to roll for. Like, roll... Did you guys ever watch Community? Uh, a little bit. Okay, so the end of, I want to say, the fourth season, they have a school of air conditioner repair people, and their big duel to determine who's right is you get stuck in a room with the other guy and your AC vents into their room and his AC vents into your room and it's who fixes their AC first before they pass out. Like, <laughs> that's their whole thing. Actually, okay, well, there you go. We got it. <laughs> it's like they've written this game for us. We just need a, a I don't know, a card or dice version of it. I like it. Okay, so next. Oh, you, you picked that. I don't know why I pulled it. You pick, well, you picked it. So. I picked it. So Euro game. We're going back to the Euro game. So another resource-heavy sort of deal with the Hero of Destiny. Hero of Destiny. Okay, this is interesting because Hero of Destiny sounds like it should be a competitive game, but this is a, a Euro resource-building no, what, thing. What, what if you're all, like, mentors for the Hero of Destiny? Oh, you're all trying to be Chiron? Like the, the master? The You're trying to train him. Okay, so you you know so competing competing dojos or or it could be like uh, could be like Kung Fu Panda. 
where they they have a bunch of people all trying to be the hero of destiny. Oh, that's okay. That's yeah. too. And so then you would go okay. around. You could go around managing different resources or collecting things or gathering the points to show that you're the. No, clearly I am the best. I am the, actually the hero of destiny. Okay, I kind of like that. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could maybe as you're collecting resources and developing your character over the course of the game. Maybe you could break from your tradition a little bit, and maybe you do go up against a, a battle uh, against some sort of big bad, or like there's a test, and whoever whoever. Oh beat, yeah, no, you could totally have like, like a test. Yeah, rounds, I suppose. I don't know. I don't know. Either you, either everyone kind of has their own test at the end that their masters put them through, and whoever performs best at the end is the hero of destiny. I guess that might be easier than like having a monster that everyone is goes up against. But I could see that. I think, there, I think there's, there, yeah. I mean, these games all need to exist. Is what I'm saying. Because <laughs> there's, there's one thing this world needs. We don't have enough games. Nope. Mm. Okay. All right. Not. Tabletop RPG. Back to that. Back to RPG. This time with. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> Motion Picture Association Movie Raider. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That would have been better with not tabletop RPG. <laughs> Oh, I'm curious though. I mean, like, does like go against the movies? I mean, what? I'm trying to think of like the different. Okay, well, last time we had an RPG, we said that the Dennis was just one of various classes. So, th- so this is a class. Yes. Okay. So I feel like the RPG is just Hollywood, and all the classes are basically competing to make the best movie. Or, well, or maybe not, because if one of the classes is the the rating reviewer creator. What's the goal here? No, you know, your party, air quotes, could be all these people trying to make a film. And so then rating is one step. So you have to have someone with those skills to finish to finish your movie. Then obviously you need like a casting director. You need someone who... who Fully you, man. You need a sound guy, <laughs> yeah. you know, all that sort of stuff. So I then love- that's the adventure is these people using their various skills to, to the raider, pull the movie together. Because the movie raider could watch as you're like, nope, you know, we got to take those words out of the script or you won't make it. For- no, you're, you're only allowed one of those. <laughs> Otherwise we go R. We can't have that. Less blood, less blood or more. I don't know. It depends who your audience is, I guess. <laughs> Okay, this is beginning to sound like one of those comics where you see a bunch of dragons playing a tabletop RPG and they're playing like office workers. <laughs> it's like this is getting a little too real, guys. Well, this one seems like it'd be a very much a, a you know very heavy on the storytelling sort of RPG. Yeah, it, it, it feels rules light. Yes. Mm, yeah, I can see that. Not where there's like very specific feats and traits and skills, but like yes, things the, go, the roll, movie things raider go is not going to use their. <laughs> Perception. Uh, I was going to say their censorship. To, oh, I have lowered the movie to a lower because I have used my censorship ability. So now it's a lower rating. This is now G or a stealth check. Where like no, the movie passed its stealth check. Like you, you, you loudly cough right before an F word, so that's the the reviewer doesn't notice it. Okay. I think that's one of those like uh, two hundred word RPGs you go make for the contest. Nice. All right. Last one of these. Yep, last time. Uh, Collectible card game. Oh, that's right. I feel like we've gone almost backwards. Oh, yeah. There's only four. Oh, yeah, that's true. All right. So, what's our occupation here? Molecular biologist. (laughs) Collectible. Sorry, collecting atoms, um, (laughs) elements. So, my first thought (laughs) is the card game is we make giant monsters and fight each other. Oh, nice. Oh. So, then what you're collecting is the. Is the the genes mutations? Yeah, mutations, and you mutate your your giant monster, and we fight each other. Actually, that is awesome. Yeah, I feel like all our friends over at uh, the Monster Island, all the kaiju people, would love this sort of thing. (laughs) It'd be that. that, I mean, we just keep adding expansions of different, yeah, different things to create, and and you craft your deck around being able to get the the best items and the things you want. I mean, are you about speed? Are you about some sort of poison? Are you about? Well, I guess I imagine there's probably. I imagine there's like certain like. There are parts that are like a standard. It's like Legos. You know, you can build the thing that's on the box or you can build some monstrosity combining <laughs> different pieces. <laughs> so you've got what something that's got like lizard legs and uh, feathery wings and, you know, some weird so monstrosity. So it gets a cuddle. 
<laughs> there you go. So, yeah, that could be fun. I okay, could... so here's my question. Which of these games do we most need to make? Oh, man. Um, That's rough. I, I mean, I would totally play the DJ going into the center of the earth <laughs> game. I mean, but, but I, tend to, I tend to gravitate toward Euro games anyway. I'm just intrigued about this ant mechanic. <laughs> I don't know. Just the the medical lives of the ant colony. It just I think quirky enough that I would like to try. see. Now all I can imagine is the is the like classic movie doctor character where he's got like a cigar and he's got the cane. The art for this game would be great. The art for <laughs> it'd be ridiculous. Like oh my gosh, someone's character has like five legs and it's like it's like the grizzled old ant oh nice fun stuff all right very well, good very good well we probably need should wrap this up here um before we go aaron did you have anything that you would like to plug while you're here anything that i would like to plug um so i actually stream on twitch it's crop circles in all one word but basically i play a bunch of random stuff but the fun part is we we chit chat about all sorts of stuff. Like I know that I've I know I've given my citrus fruit discussion several times, and uh, you know we'll talk about anime and stuff that's coming up in comic books and and all whatever. So cool. So you you don't have a certain type of video game you play on there most often? Um, the one I play most often is probably Destiny Two, but other than that, we're kind of all over the place. Okay, cool. And as for us, you folks should know where to find us by now, derailedtrainsofthought.com. We, the website is still relatively new, um, but uh, we hope you have been enjoying it and exploring it. Theoretically, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and through all the lovely podcatchers out there. That's right. Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. We'll close out with uh, my soundtrack choice. I decided to go with something from the game Neverwinter Nights. Uh, because that's a game based on Forgotten Realms, a D&D campaign setting, which I know is a, is a big world that has been in video games and in role, tabletop role-playing games around the world. Um, but this particular remix is called Kara Turian Nights. It is by Saracis. Sarah, I'm not sure how to say their name, but this is a nice kind of cinematic song, and I hope you enjoy it. So thanks again, Aaron, for joining us here at this interesting wizard school. Are we safe here or, do, or is it about time that we hightailed it out? Safe at the moment, though. Yeah, no, we don't really want to linger. Okay. okay. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll take your word for it. So thanks again, Aaron. It's good to see you. Always a pleasure. And until next time, folks, this is Tim. This is Nick. Bye-bye. Adios.